What up, Fatherhoods Nation? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. They've got ill creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Not only that, but Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all that. You can make a little paper from your podcast too with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one spot. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is KGB. What up, is DJ EFN. Yo, and this is your man, Manny Digital. Welcome to the Fatherhoods Podcast. Beats, rhymes, and diamonds. So what's up, fellas? What's good? What's up? All right, we got a uh, we got a special quarantine edition here. So we have a uh, a legend with us, uh, not just in hip hop but in music in general. We have Ishmael Butterfly Butler. Uh, you may know him from Diggable Planets from the '90s. He was pushing uh, new boundaries with sound that way, and it's continued on to this day with uh, the ultra funky super boundary pushing shabazz palaces and they got a new album out dawn of diamond dreams out now yeah let's welcome let, let's, ish. let's welcome and give it up for ishmael yeah sure. what's going on oh Thank they got joining the, us the audience <laughs> yeah, gave, got, okay yeah 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 we we had a little you know? we had a little budget we had a little budget for you today <laughs> We have a studio audience. Everybody yeah. has their own uh, Clorox wipes and everything. <laughs> I, I'm touched. I'm touched. Thank you, man. Clorox wipes. We supposed to um, wipe the inside of your mouth and throat. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I just had some Lysol for lunch. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Good. Though, so. good. good. So, man, yeah, we we appreciate you taking the time, man. Definitely uh, excited to talk to you here. Um, right on. I guess to jump right into it, um, like I, I, one thing I noticed when checking out uh, the album and reading some stuff about the album is it, it seems like there's a definite dedication to uh, your parents, uh, your father in particular. I'm curious to know, I guess, a, a bit more about your upbringing and your family life coming up. Yeah, um, my mother and father, they, they, um, they broke up their relationship when I was, I don't remember how old I was, uh, single digits. I remember living with them though. And, um, <clears throat> they maintained a really good friendship. Um, when I say I remember living with them, I remember living with them together. But, um, after they split up, I spent time with my mother and father kind of equally. Either I would go to school where my dad lived and spend the summers with my mom or vice versa. Um, they was very, um, loving um thinkers um adventurous people my dad was a intellectual professor of history taught got a phd my mother um worked at dys division of youth services um with that you know kids that you know was at risk and had been in trouble and shit like that so they always had a very um big and broad sense of culture and community and family. 
So I was raised like that. Um, no matter who I was with, there was always a lot of people around, cousins and uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents and all that. So um, I was raised to be, you know, an individual, but feel like I was part of, you know, my, my family and the extended family that I culturally was involved in and had been lucky enough to be born into. And to really use those attachments and experiences for motivating me to um, discover what I was into and what I liked and, and to pursue um, that with passion, really. And that's the, like, uh, parental kind of legacy that my parents left me. Obviously, there's a lot more detail to it, but overall, that's kind of like how I would nonsize, um my upbringing. Also, it took place in a lot of cities. My father moved around a lot up and down the East Coast, whereas my mom stayed still in uh, Seattle. Well, my father was New York and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. Mm. and uh, Richmond, Virginia. So, so I spent a lot of time in all of those places. So, so you had um, the, the parallels are pretty interesting because uh, just knowing, you know, what we, what we know about your son, um, little, he goes by Lil Tracy jazz butler uh he he has grown up kind of in a similar situation right as far as like the bi-coastal living um and having to split time with his parents and whatnot as well right it's 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 kind of (laughs) eerie the way it seems to be playing out that's accurate correct yeah and even after that like even as he made his choices that in his young adulthood he went to places that um and not, not that he necessarily knew I had gone in, in that order, but he also went to Philly and lived for a while, New York, California, you know. So, But these patterns, they, they, we're the authors of them, and we sort of like follow in the footsteps, not just in, uh, in, the, in the DNA of our looks and, and movements and stuff, but also some of our predispositions that we carry on into the world and life. So it's no real surprised that you kind of follow because I did a lot of the same stuff my dad did. He did a lot of the same stuff his dad did, even though they didn't really have a tight relationship. So, you know, it's in you, not on you. You know what I mean? Mm. So I was reading, uh, we read a bunch of different articles and and interviews and um, one was with your son. I think it was the, uh, the one with between the two of you, where you guys were interviewing each other. And he mentioned when he was living with you that, uh, you know, you were stern, um, much like, I guess, your father was with you in terms of just living and discipline. Is that is that correct? And is that kind of a pattern that, that's something you inherited from, from your dad? Or did you like that from your dad and feel it was necessary to bring that into your world? Yeah, but the, but the, like, the characteristic of my sternness was like, like, to me, that's what the most important part of it was because I still let them, you know, have freedom and experiences. Yeah. But in terms of, like, trying to instill an appreciation for discipline and what it would actually provide to you in richnesses if you understood why you should have discipline and why you should have passion and themes of honor, respect and stuff like that family. So 
I was stern about getting those points across. But he had a good, he had a lot of freedom, though. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't like yeah. just doing shit just to do it. You know what I right. mean? Which right, right, right. It's <laughs> yeah. also a way, too. It's a way to teach it as well. I'm not, I'm not frowning on that, but that wasn't how I was. Just like super stern like that. But to him, it probably felt like that, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's at least for me trying to figure out like so we're all dads. Uh, I've got a 7-year-old, man, he's got three kids. He's got one and another one on the way. And um, you know, we're all trying to just figure it all out as it <laughs> as it goes along. I think that's probably one of the with no uh, luck. Yeah, well, <laughs> a little bit of luck. I think that's one of the things that we um or at least for me try to figure out is like the Obviously, there's got to be discipline, but then kids change so quickly, and it's like, you know, one thing that worked before doesn't work now, and how do you let them, uh, you know, kind of discover themselves and be, and become an individual at the same, while at the same time, like, having discipline and kind of laying down what the rules are, and that, that can be, to me, that can be a little difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. You, you say it, and I'm thinking to myself, like, how... I'm two faced as fuck about that particular topic, right? So like I I I'm the one preaching from the mountaintops. Hey, I want you to be an individual. I want you to find your own path. I'm gonna set the boundaries so you don't go off the rails, but but I want you to find yourself. But at the same time, I'm the same motherfucker that's like, No, you can't do it that way. You gotta do it this way because this is the way it goes. And I can't I mean now, actually since starting this podcast, I think I've been able to at least hold myself more accountable toward that and kind of ease off that a little bit. But I mm-hmm. wonder, Ishmael, like from your perspective, just given what you just described your sternness to be, how do you how do you manage that, right? Because your sternness is very different than what we would normally consider stern, right? Um, the, the points that you were being stern about. Yeah. How, how how were you able to manage it while still allowing your son to be that individual that he's become and continues to evolve into? I don't know. It's just like, it's like, um, I, I didn't look at it as something I had to do comprehensively, you know, or even do with any um, notion of success or, or, or failure in terms of what I provided for him. But I knew that Boom, you set up these parameters. You got to be paying attention at all times. You stand frosty to the, the children they want, they need, their experiences. This is an everyday thing. Like so, like you said, something that may work on Tuesday on Wednesday may be the absolute wrong approach. So once I just felt like, look, man, you got to stay on your toes, keep your head up when you dribble in terms of being a parent. It's just like you realize you're in a relationship with this person and you – your, your authority is based on your time on this earth more than the person already has. And the fact that you handle the responsibilities that take care and allow the person to their basics for survival. So I, 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 I highlight that in order to let the understand person, you know, my son and my daughters understand why I can assume this authority. And then everything else is just kind of stylistic. I mean, you got to go off your instinct. Your parents are going to be your parents. Some of the things that aren't beneficial to you um, materially or emotionally later on may be the one thing, the juxtaposition that the th- new thing you've learned lets you discover about yourself. So it's just like 
your mom, your dad, they're not supposed to do everything perfect, but they are supposed to be as real and as, you know, genuine and supportive as they can. And everything that they did wrong doesn't necessarily affect you in the, in the, in the wrong way. So yeah. I just kind of just stay as attentive as I can and open-minded and, and also, you know, when shit is just like, it can't happen. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah, kids, right. they don't know. You know what I mean? They're going to try stuff. The more inventive, the more cur- curious they are, the more wilder things that they're going to attempt. So sometimes you do got to shut shit down. You know what I mean? And and I look back on times when that happened for me, for my parents, and I'm very appreciative, man, hmm. of that, you know? Based on what you're saying, how how important you think it is to be authentic to your children? Like, I feel like what you're saying is, like, like, well, let me just pose the question. So, the authenticity of of how you are to your children, would you do you feel like people should sometimes not, you know, don't hide adult things from their kids, or just let it all kind of fly? Well, you may think you hide something, but you, you, you probably really aren't, you know, because, like, you know, if you're hiding something, that means you're actively thinking about it. And that, and that active thought manifests itself in, in the real world. And to a kid who, you know, is, is really paying attention to what you're saying, but way more than that is filling you out, you know, filling right. your moods, your attitudes, the your vocals, whether you got time or you're short or you're stressed, all of that stuff is, they feeling that. So they know everything, whether they know how to describe it or not, they know the specifics of it. So it's probably best to try to be as um, open as you can. They can deal with it. You know, it's certain things that go over their head or or they don't know enough to, uh, they don't have enough experience to really deal with it, sexual shit, drug stuff and everything like that. But, I don't think you want to hide really because you want your kids to trust you and they won't if they don't feel like you being honest about who you are to them, you know? So when shit comes up, it's not true. They're going to go to, you know what I mean? They're going to go to somebody that's more trustworthy. They might even feel like, Oh, I can't go to them with that. Cause they going to wild out or they going to trip or they going to flash on me. You, you don't want that. Cause when the tips are down, you definitely want to be in on the moves with, with, with whatever's, whatever they face that's how I feel about it. So right. sometimes you got to give up a little more info than you probably want to sooner <laughs> than you want to, but hopefully it could pay off in, in the end, you know? Mm. So E, e what, what in, in, for your, I feel like, um, it's like a personal question for you that you're referencing. Are you trying to, no, I mean, uh, just cause based on what he was saying up to when I asked that is just, and you know, I think we all maybe, you know, if we're talking about like, you know, do we play certain kind of music or explicit, like even something like yeah. that simple right. to just like, depending on what kind of lifestyle you lead or, 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 you know, how you make a living. Some people might hide their true selves sometimes from their kids because they think they're protecting their kids from something right. or shielding right. them. Right. But I almost feel like while he was talking, I was thinking, you know, it could be a shock value to the point where it's like it's like telling a kid Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny don't exist, and they're like, "You fucking been lying to me this whole time." Like you, you'd be the ultimate worst, you know, Santa Claus, you know, fucking reveal. Like, yeah. oh, man, you you full of shit. You ain't the person you've been, you know, acting to be yeah. this whole time, my whole life. So, yeah. I would want to be as authentic and as honest as possible 
but I know that there's sometimes a fine line and there's, you know, I don't know, give or takes in that situation. Yeah, for sure. Like, D- did Santa yeah, Claus ever like come that, up? Like the, huh? I was going to say, did Santa Claus ever come up for you guys? Was that ever like conversation you guys yeah, had? We, it's a mixed bag over here. <laughs> I, I, I'm refer- I'm uh, bringing it to Ishmael. Uh, the, oh. the Santa Claus question. Nah, nah, nah. We 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 never. I mean, my parents they they kept it a stack from the jump about the Santa, <laughs> <laughs> about the Santa thing because they just saw it as a, a waste of, of of time. You know, like yeah. to invest in a, in a fantasy. You know what I mean? That, Kids got plenty of things that's exciting and fun and fantastic. As a matter of fact, everything in life is as fantastic as the notion of Santa Claus when you just right. start now. You know what I mean? So that whole, it, they saw it as an American um, white supremacist sort of like um, rules that they would, wouldn't would stand due to me kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? But they didn't trip on other people that it wasn't like, ah, oh, they, you know, like, at all costs, we got a ride at on Santa and nothing like that. But they didn't, they didn't, they didn't kick it to me like that, and I didn't to the kids either. Okay, all right, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned you have daughters, and so is it two daughters and and your son Jazz? And Jazz, yeah. Okay. And is Jazz the oldest? Jazz is the oldest. No, he's no? the youngest. Oh, get out of here. Okay, yeah. So, so walk us through like what's that? What's that dynamic? How many kids? How how old? Okay, so um, D's the oldest. She's 27 or 28. I don't be remembering years like that. And Jazz <laughs> and his daughter, I mean, Jazz and my daughter Kyla are the same age. Okay. They were born, I think, in 95. Got it. Yeah. So they're, they're a month apart. Actually, Jazz was born in October. Kyla was born in November, so that makes Kyla the youngest by a month. But they don't have the same mother, though. Right. But they're all real tight. Kyla and Dee live here in Seattle together, uh, not too far from me. And Jazz is out in uh, Canyon Country, in uh, right in uh, L.A. outside of L.A. Okay. So, so what was that like having kids when you were in the midst of? touring and uh, i guess in mid 90s that's you know both albums coming out and all that good stuff how, how, how did that work for you it was pretty wild i mean it was fun um that whole time of my life was just really really fun a lot of action and traveling and excite excitement and just you know being away from the kids because i wasn't with their mothers uh, for most of the time, it was hard because I liked being a dad and I was had good relationships with the kids. So that part was hard, but it was also cool to be able to like support financially and handle my responsibilities. I felt proud about that. My mother was proud, you know. And then as time went on, it, and you know, during the summers, I would get the kids and we'd all be together, and like it was just like really the best time of my life you know i mean i man, those those days were, were pretty fun so and it really set the foundation for our relationship and really for their relationship how they all relate being having different moms and stuff it could have been funky really you know 
yeah. for like superficial reasons or even real reasons, but fortunately not. Nah, like, everybody's tight and it's, everything's really beautiful. So I, I think back on those times really fondly. I mean, there was drama, you know what I mean? But right, nothing. right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But y'all was able to deal with it. That's, it's um, the relationship between you and your, your kids' mo- mothers, I, I, obviously not not perfect, but because it's for me, if I'm in that situation, right, and I got multiple children from, you know, multiple women, I, for me, that seems like the most, almost impossible thing to be able to manage and effectively be a father for those kids because, hmm. you know, the dynamics change. There's so many little things that can set any particular person in that, in that relationship circle off, whether yeah. it be the children or the, or the, you know, the females. Um, I just feel like it's like a lane full of like landmines. How, how have you, what's your experience been and how have you been able to manage through it? Well, it's like, to me, everything begins with the raw materials. And if you have the desire for something, you're going to figure out how to make it happen. So I liked being a father and all of the drama that came from that situation. I don't know. It's just like you adapt. You know what I mean? And you you adapt and you, you figure out what needs to be done. And then you try to make it happen. And when that don't work, you try to figure out another way. But... Fortunately, the drama, like the drama, subsided after a while, you know, mm. and I didn't really have to deal with that much of it. I know other situations are different, but it wasn't. It never felt impossible, though. Honestly, it, it, it just felt like it was trying arduous at times, but never bleak. Mm. Damn, that's a that's a that's a bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the that that's the soil that every bar I've ever said came from. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, speaking about jazz for a minute, um, and so I was reading this this the NME article, and you know, talking about his time dealing with drugs and little peeps death and, and that whole time period. And, um, I guess in the article you said that was probably the most, one of the most depressing times that you had to deal with. We've talked about this amongst each other and that's kind of, and, and to me as a father, you know, I, I think about my son and I think about all the dumb shit that I did when I was younger. Um, and you know, I often find myself praying like, please, you know, allow him to avoid all that kind of shit. And you're not he's... religious. No. <laughs> but, I, but I do send yeah. prayers, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Some, to some, anybody some... that'll answer this, yeah, right, doing exactly. <laughs> because I know all it takes is, you know, you, you're around it enough, all, it, it, and you never know how anyone's wired. All it takes is one time to try something or do something, then all of a sudden you're off, you know, in a whole other lane that you shouldn't be in. So, um, I guess from your point of view, like how difficult has that been for you to deal with? And I guess how much were you able to intervene at all? Because I know when someone's kind of spiraling and they're dealing with stuff, you know, you really can't do a whole lot, um, other than, 
try to be there. And then sometimes you can't even be there. It's almost like you got to shut, shut, shut shop down. So curious if, you know, uh, if you could kind of walk us through your mindset and how you dealt with, uh, with that. Well, first I always saw it as something that he was dealing with and that I was had an opportunity through my responsibility and my, my, familial, you know, ties to him to be able to help him with, you know what I'm saying? But like you said, our youth is a dice roll. We always walking on a tightrope. That feeling of invinci- invincibleness, every young person feels that. And, and the things you do within that feeling, you know, set the tone for the rest of your life. You know, they let you discover who you are. And, you know, when you dare yourself to do these things, if you make it through it, which most of the time you do, it, you know, you come out on the other side with, with, with some new jewels about who you are. So it's necessary, you know what I'm saying? But to him, he never, I never had to be at the point where you had to um, not be involved. But all of the things, his sisters, his mother, his, 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 his family, myself, every time we got next to him and we felt like it was something that needed to be said or done, we did it because, you know, it wasn't situational where, like, oh, you talk to him, he sounds like he had a breakthrough, and now everything's all right. Nah, you, you got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing it. So when, when that person does reach that point in which they are, you know, self-evaluating and seeing that they got to do something different, what else is there in their memory and their mind and their experience to bolster their own personal um acknowledgement of the thing and it's got to be all the shit y'all did all the times y'all said y'all cared all the times you was hard on them all the times you told them what the what was real so i look at it like that you got to keep doing it to so when that person does get to the point where they want to do it on their own they realize there's a reason other people care for them other people love them other people expect some other people going to challenge them and nobody and those same people ain't never going nowhere so that's how i looked at it like I always believed in um, him coming out on the other side of that. And also that he wasn't stupid or he wasn't dumb or he wasn't weak or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I knew it wasn't that and I was never going to present it to him like that. You know what I mean? So that's all I can do. But in the end, he he did it himself, you know, and I'm just happy to be able to be be able to have helped him and be his, be his family and be somebody that knows him because, he rocked it, you know? That's, I mean, that's, that's brave. I, I mean, listening to you say that and I'm like, I don't know if I would have the courage to, to think about it that way. Right. Cause you're basically saying you're going to be, you and the family are going to be supportive as, as much as you can be, but you understand that this is a battle he has to overcome obviously with whatever support you can lend, but you kind of have to let him see it through. And especially, yeah, but I mean, you gotta crash it up. You gotta crash. You right. know, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. you get mad, you get frustrated, you get scared, and you you act out and you go do shit. You do, you know, crash his party, and you gotta go see him from long ways away and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like that's all I was saying. I'm not saying I you just let it happen. Nah, that that didn't happen. Oh, either, okay. Man. Like, <laughs> yeah, nah, nah. You gotta fight. You gotta fight, a but lot. you but you will be you were you were though being cognizant of like all right this this is when I should intervene. Nah, I'm gonna let him rock this out right quick and see kind of what 
like you, you were measuring your approach all the time. It wasn't like straight up always um, emotional reaction, for better or worse. Well, after a while, you you have a bunch of emotional reactions, then you realize you gotta you gotta have another approach. And um, nah, early on it was just I was just beefing the whole time, and I the realizations that I'm talking to you about now are things I had to tell myself. You know, like you you gotta understand that it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be a conversation away. It's not going to be a punishment away. It's not going to be, you know what I'm saying, a scalding away that is going to be a longer process. And I, these, these are things I had to learn, you know? Um, did you, uh, but, did you but, ever yeah, feel you like you had, No, that. go ahead. Sorry, man. Um, yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, like, did you ever feel like you had to, I don't know, maybe you did, did you have to come scoop them up did you feel like if you had him, like, you know, in your house that you would be able to kind of keep him away from doing things or, or was that not yeah. an approach? Yeah, that, that, that also happened. And, and, um, you do have to, again, like, like the salute, like this, how I feel like as a parent, you want to like be able to say, boom, like do something. And then when that thing is done, the problem is over. Mm-hmm. but it don't really rock like that. You know, like you might have to do that same thing 50 times before the notion for the person to even think about ending the problem even begins. You know what I'm saying? But what if, if you only did 49 of them, then it wouldn't have never worked. So you can't look at it like, uh, I got to solve this. I got to solve this. You got to look at it. Like I have to do something to change the tide. And it's like, it's very difficult. It's almost like art, you know, like you don't know if it's good or bad until, you know, there's some results. So I don't really know how to really say that. It's like, you don't know you, 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 how can you prepare for that? You know, yeah. you never would have thought that you you know, your child was going to have to struggle with this kind of thing, but boom, there you are. Now what, you know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. never know. You just never know. But what you do know is, you know, what you've done, what your relationship is about. You know the person really well if you've been paying attention to them so you can push their buttons, you can help them. You, you know what they need and want, what their predispositions are, what gets them going, what motivates them, what excites them, what, what, what makes them scared. So you, you got a lot in your toolbox to, to get there, you know? So right. And it's your consistency it. that matters. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Now, aside from, you know, any of the the negative stuff, was he, when he started getting into music, did he come to you for any advice or did he want to collaborate or anything on the music side? Or was that, again, him kind of just going off and doing his thing and you're finding out about it, you know, when he's in the mix of it already? Oh, no. I mean, like, like it's like we wake up. We, we hooping, we, we, we driving around, we listening to music, we come home. I definitely got the studio set up. He's sitting in there, what's that, what's going on, show me this. Playing guitar, playing on keyboards. Like, like music and sports and life, it's all wrapped up I, it, in in the family. That's the family business, you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. He, he took all of that as his foundation. And then when he left home at uh, 17, 18, that's what he was into. Those are the cats he gravitated to. Those became his family and that's what they did. And 
I knew we had the passion for it because I could tell we'd be doing shit and shit. Most cats, little guys would kind of learn a little bit and then they off doing something else. He would always stay. And it was hours and hours at it. You know? Like, okay, he, he, he got the passion that it, that it takes to be able to do it. And then when he got out on his own, he, he, he proved that to be the truth and, and did his due diligence, you know? But he never came to me like, Dad, this is what I'm going to do and I need you. Can you do this for me or none? But he just kind of soaked up a lot of stuff. He would ask questions, you know, and then he would, I, he took them in and, and, and sort of wrote his own blueprint based on, right. on whatever, I, whatever the answers was. So he's, he's real remarkable like that. And also too, he was around when, when I first started doing Shabazz palaces. And so their whole notion of like not using diggable to get Shabazz on, I never talked to him about it, but he was there when we was pressing up the, uh, I mean, we had the CDs and we were putting them in envelopes and mailing them and taking them to the post office and all that shit. He would help me sometimes pack the envelopes and shit. So the notion of getting it on your own, because that's the only way you really owned it yourself, really sunk into him through osmosis, I think. And he really flourished that idea because in a way, yeah, I did just see him, you know, they were on YouTube and putting their songs up and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But when it flipped and like motherfuckers was waiting for him to do stuff and knew who he was, that I found out about not through him. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, I right, found out right. about that. It came to me through the world. Like, damn, he, he's happy. Like, for real. Which would, was amazing. Would you have been disappointed? I, I'm sure the answer is no, but I'm going to ask the dumbass question anyway. Would you have been disappointed if he didn't follow in your musical footsteps? And I don't mean necessarily from an artist, you know, being an artist per se, but like yeah. really, you know, you mentioned it a little bit ago, like family business is music. His mom, yeah. SWV days, you with, you know, your trajectory, like would there be, have been some disappointment between y'all if he didn't fuck with it in some way, shape or form? No. I would have been disappointed if he didn't have something that he was passionate about, enough about to go to sleep and wake up thinking about it and doing something about it, no matter what it, no matter what it had been. Cause I would have felt like, damn, I didn't really instill that in him. You know what, what having a dream and a passion and the energy for that is about. And I would have always just tried to let him help him out, find what that is, no matter how old he got, you know what I'm saying? But I wasn't tripping about the music thing really. How how does he like the new album? I don't know. I <laughs> talked to him, but we didn't we didn't we didn't talk about that yet. Um, he came to the video shoot. He liked the song that we did in the video the shoot. Fast, he was in the lab uh, a couple times. Yeah, he was in the lab a couple times because I I mixed it in L.A. and you know, but we don't really like talk specifically that much about. We talk about other people. You know what I mean? Not about me and his that much. But he'll send me his new joints and I send him his stuff and acknowledge that each other got it. And if we feel like super, super strongly about it, we'll might say something here or there. But for the most part, I mean, you know, it's just so much more to it. You know how it is. It's like, I know yeah, that yeah. to everybody else. It's like, oh, they both do music. But yeah. man, we've been, we probably talk more sports than anything, honestly. Speaking of sports, um, you growing up, there was a passion involving basketball that rumor has it um, has taken you to some interesting places. Um, most yeah. most notably, my alma mater of the University of Massachusetts. Oh um, wow! 
So, so I dust off this number five jersey I got over here from oh, 19, wow. okay. 1988. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, and I'm trying to figure out how the fuck does a dude come from Seattle, Washington, end up yeah. at the University of Massachusetts, not just for, to, to play for some random coach. Happens to be John Calipari's first year, but yeah. they had like, and we're probably getting way off topic for these guys because they don't do sports like that. But, oh, okay, okay. but, but fuck them. I'm curious. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do your thing, Manny. Do your thing. How, how do you get recruited to play at UMass? A, the distance. I mean, granted, nowadays it don't seem that far. But I think back then, yeah. you know, distance mattered. And then John Calipari, you saying, yo, all right, I'm fucking with John Calipari. Him being relatively an unproven, you know, coach. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's all good because I could tie it back in to, to my fatherhood because my dad was tight with a cat that was uh, a professor in the African-American department up there, this brother named John Bracey. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, I know so John Bracey. Bracey and my pop, yeah, Bracey and my pop was tight from the movement days, right? Boom, they knew each other. So I'm out in Seattle doing my thing, hooping, um, two state championships. We won my senior year. I didn't get recruited by um, UMass, but what my pop did through Bracey was put me on the radar, the UMass coach who at the time was this dude named Ron Gerlison. So Gerlison was like, boom, you come to UMass, you get a tryout, basically. You feel me? So I'm like, boom. I'm, I knew, I felt I was nice. I'm like, boom, I'm going to go do that. So. Through Bracey and Gerlison, I, I get into school. I tried out for the team. I made the team the first year. The team didn't do that good, and so they flipped coaches, and Coach Cal came in my second year there. Uh. And Coach Cal came in. He liked my style. He liked my get down and gave me gave me a renew my scholarship, and that's how I ended up playing for Coach Cal. Wow. And then you pieced. Yeah. You quit the school, and you said, you know, fuck this. I'm going on tour. Yeah, well, I really, I really um, flunked out. You know oh, what I'm okay. saying? Like okay. my grades wasn't really good enough to stay. I wanted to stay and hoop and shit like that, but I was really kind of like all I was doing was music. My man George, who lived in my dorm, had a studio. He had like a keyboard and a mic in his room. I was in his room so much. His girl was just like, "Dude, who is this?" Guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> get him out of here. So I was really starting to take my music was taking over my life at the time. I could have stayed at UMass, been on probation, did, did all that whole thing. But I was like, you know what? I'm about to go do this. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's when I left UMass. That's dope. But I got to, hang, I got to play for Coach Cal for two years, man, and, and learn from him and be in, in his vibe, which was very, 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 very instrumental in all aspects of my later life, man. He, he, he's a bad cat, for real. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's clear now, but back then, you know, it was still kind of – figuring it out but yeah nah yeah that's right that's right that's a great point because he was assisting at Pitt, and that was his first gig and, yeah. and man look look what this cat ended ended up becoming you know that's dope did you go straight from umass to to then i guess build the foundation to diggable or were there other things prior to that that you were working on yeah and i bounced around a lot um between umass and diggable it was 80 it's about four years three or four years mm. going to philly living in philly living in brooklyn living in dc for a little bit 
hustling and shit, you know, meeting people and trying to figure stuff out. And I had an internship at Sleeping Bag Records. Oh, and, shit. Uh, Will, love love ben Sokolov, Will Sokolov, right? Will, yeah, Will and yeah. Dougie and okay. all the cats, you know what I'm saying? So I learned a lot. I was a mailroom guy there. And I used to, like, remember, like, white labels? Like, that's what yeah. all the DJs used to have. So I was lucky. I used to deliver all the white. Like, you would take a white label, the new Caesar or the new EPMD, just straight up to the DJ booth and hand it to them so I could get in all the clubs you and all that. And that's how I, yeah. Yeah. That's how I did my thing down there. Built yeah. your network. Yeah. I always thought Mantronics was one of the most underrated producers. It is there. <laughs> all the cats ever, man. Yeah. The TR-808 or a Lindrum, man. Come on. Yeah. Curtis Mantronic? Yep. Hey. Wow. This was fun, man. <laughs> right on. Ishmael, so uh, you going on tour soon, huh? Hopefully. <laughs> shit. As soon as, as soon this as shit opens up. As soon as the COVID yeah, as soon as the COVID yeah. opens yeah, up. As soon as very relative bus, right man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, I, I mean... We had like a lot of shows scheduled during this time, but people seem like they just real easy and trying to push it down the line and looking real down, looking optimistically at the future, thinking like give it a nice little buffer zone and try to see what uh, see what we can get back doing. But I think it's forever going to be changed. I think a lot of this sort of like recorded at home, recorded in the studio and beaming out, I think that's going to be a wave that is going to become more and more prevalent in the yeah, future. Yeah, it's a new way of life for sure, moving forward. Yeah. And before we get out of here, I just, I'm curious about Shabazz Palaces because I feel like, um, I feel like obviously with Diggable, you know, big jazz influence, uh, it's almost like, you look at Diggable, maybe you compare it to Miles Davis, and I, I listen to Shabazz Palaces and I feel, uh, then I start thinking of Sun Ra. So tell me about the, Astral worldliness of Shabazz Palaces. Yeah, ironically, it was Miles really that set me on the trajectory of the of the of the Shabazz frame of mind, where instinct prevailed over um, like um, structure. Right. You know I mean? So, yeah. in the diggable days, I was very structured. Like all everything I all that, those songs and the, how many bars everybody were rapping, all that was really mapped out. Then I started listening to Miles. I read his biography. I watched a lot of tapes and everything, and I, I started thinking about instinct. And then, and Sun Ra, too, was in, instrumental in that. And then I just started, like, really, like, having a, a broader um, sense of everything, timing, rhythm, harmony, melody, um, lyricism and all that kind of stuff. So that set the foundation for what really Shabazz is, is all about and remains kind of all about. So um, that's pretty much it. But those, those two artists are basically like seminal in my uh, creative um, thinking. You know? So, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Think that says it all. Yeah, no, that <laughs> yeah, was that was that was uh, it, it had a, a lot of nice little pieces to this episode. It was it was some introspective stuff, some deep shit, some lightheartedness. I, I think I think there's a winner. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I, I, I like um I like how y'all doing it too. That's that's fresh, man. I, um, 
And it's refreshing, too, to do the interviews like this a lot of times. People just need content so they, they don't really get a chance to spend a lot of time with development of any type of anything thematically. So it's good to be involved in something like this. And I appreciate it from the bros, man. Thank you. Thank you, thank man. you man. man. Thank you. We appreciate you. Right on. All right, all right man. Be safe. All right. No listen. Right, no, no, no Windex or no Lysol, bro. All right. Just, just. Oh, uh, I'm about to take a shot now. Man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's happy hour. All right, bro. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Peace. Peace. Later. Yo, be a father. If not, why bother, son? A boy can make him, but a man can raise one. Be a father to your child.